morning, everyone. Cool. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my, my picture did just appear up on the screen briefly as a member of the PCC. My name is Rob. Um, so I serve on the PCC and the Deanery Synod. Um, I'm along with my wife, Jeff, we lead a... Jeff? Jess, sorry. Jess, we lead a home group, uh, and we also uh, lead some of the 14 to 18s ministry here on a Friday evening called K2. Uh, before we begin, uh, shall we pray together very quickly? Father, thank you so much for your word and for the truth that you reveal to us through it. We pray that as we dig into Revelation this morning, that you will speak to us, that you will reveal yourselves to us, and that we will get to know a little bit more about you. Amen. So, when Neil emailed the preaching team sort of in August saying he was thinking about a series in Daniel, I got really excited. My mind thought back to Sunday school, we had lion, Daniel in the lion's den, I was thinking, oh great, a hero of faith, we're going to learn so much, it's going to be an epic term. And it wasn't a book though that I was overly familiar with, I, I haven't really looked at it for a while, so I thought I'd sit down and have a read of it. And the first six chapters, pretty much as I remembered them, we had Daniel in the lion's den, we had fiery furnaces, writing on the wall, all the stories that had captivated a room of preteens in a Bible club back in the 90s in Reading. Then I got to chapter seven, and things started to get just a little bit weird. We, we get introduced to a series of beasts, the last of which has got four heads and four wings and 10 horns that Daniel almost seems to forget to mention which raises all sorts of questions. I mean, 10 isn't divisible by four, so why do you give a beast with four heads, 10 horns? How many horns on each head? Um, and then we also get on a little bit later. Uh, we come across this unstoppable show, this showdown between an unstoppable ram and a unicorn goat. It just starts to get very, very weird. But you see, it turns out there is definitely more to the book of Daniel than those Sunday school stories that we know and love and that we've already looked at, especially when we look at the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar. Through those dreams, we've gotten a glimpse of how God sees the world. We've gotten a glimpse of his power at work, of what his plan for his creation is. And when the characters that we've already met in Daniel have come to understand that, their lives have been irreversibly changed. The first six chapters of Daniel help build us up and help us understand what's gonna come in the, six, in the second six chapters, the last six chapters. These chapters give us Daniel's own dreams and visions. And as weird and as strange as they might seem on the surface, in them, we should expect to find something life-changing. His visions are epic. They will change our very understanding of the world that God has created us. They will help us to see the world the way that God sees the world. They are, in a word, apocalyptic. So in order to help us understand Daniel's apocalypse over the coming weeks, we're gonna take a little bit of a step away from the book of Daniel, and we're gonna have a look at a different apocalypse in the Bible. And we're gonna have a look uh, at the start of Revelation. And what we're gonna see is what the word apocalypse actually means. And we're gonna look at how these events are often presented to us in the Bible. This is a genre which we call apocalyptic literature. And Daniel 6 to 12 counters apocalyptic literature, as does the book of Revelation. And we're going to have a look 
and see, and we're going to see that true biblical apocalypse is not something that we should fear or that we should shy away from, but something that we should embrace. Now, I realize that that might sound shocking, embracing apocalypse, but really it comes down to what that word really actually means. The English word apocalypse, and we only ever really see in popular culture. We see it in reviews about movies and books about the end of the world. For example, Avengers Infinity War, or Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's Good Omens. Uh, we sometimes see it as a stand-in word for unimaginable death and destruction, like in the film Apocalypse Now. But nowhere in any of the English translations of the Bible do we find the English word apocalypse. So what does biblical apocalypse actually mean? See, the Bible wasn't written, originally written in English. Henry Higgins was wrong about that one. And the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, from which our reading today comes from, was written in Greek. So let's have a look at the first verse from our reading today. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, or from Jesus Christ, depending on which translation you've got. In the original Greek language that John wrote this in, that first word of this reading is apocalypsis. It means something revealed. As we have it on the screen, it means a revelation. So in a biblical sense, apocalypse simply means something that is revealed. Something that is revealed by God. One of the theologians from the Bible Project puts it like this. He says, the God of the universe wants humanity to see the world the way that he sees it and to rely on his wisdom. And because of that, characters in the Bible are constantly having apocalypses. Let me give you an example of one of those. In the book of Acts, uh, we meet a guy called Saul. Um, you might know him better by the name of Paul. And in Acts 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus to go and kick in the heads of any Christians that he might find there. And on his way, a bright light from heaven appears and he hears Jesus speaking to him. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not, Saul, Saul, why are you going to go and persecute those people over there? Why do you persecute me? Jesus is revealing to Saul his perspective on what is going on. And when Saul, to become Paul, writes about this event later on in his letter to Galatians, he uses that same Greek word, apocalypsis. He says this was revealed to him by Jesus. Unfortunately, though, not all of the revelations in the Bible are quite as easy to understand, quite as clear-cut. Sometimes these descriptions do just seem plain weird. Sometimes they seem just brutal. But we've got to remember that apocalypse is a glimpse of heaven, an opportunity to see the world the way that God sees the world. This is something that is so unimaginable, so epic, so mind-bending, that human language just doesn't always have the words to describe it. And so we're left with these apocalyptic passages. They don't seem to make sense. There are crazy beasts, there are mighty battles. But when we read through them prayerfully and carefully, 
and we begin to scratch away at the seemingly impenetrable surface, we start to find amazing truths, amazing promises, and amazing blessings. So, with that understanding of apocalypse in mind, let's have a look again at our reading from this morning. And we might see how we might find some of the truth that God is revealing to us through this idea of apocalyptic literature. To do that, we're going to do three things. We're going to look at the context that we've been given. We're going to use our imagination. And then we're going to look back through the Bible and see if there are ways in which we can find the meaning elsewhere in the Bible. So... Have a look with me at the first section of the reading. So let's get this back up on the screen. We've got this is Revelation 1. And it's sort of just worth mentioning before we really dig into this. There is so much in this passage. We are not going to have time to cover all of it today. We are really only going to be looking at the very, very tip of the iceberg. But it is important to know that at the time that we think this was written, the churches that were being written to were suffering unimaginable suffering and pain. They were being persecuted. They were having to meet in secret. Let's have a look. So, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay, so what have we got here? This is the revelation of Jesus. So it is about Jesus, which God gave him. So it is about Jesus. It's from God, and it belongs to Jesus. God has given this to Jesus. Um, And it is to show his servants what must soon take place. So it is for his people. For his people at a time when they were truly suffering. So this is a revelation about Jesus that belongs to Jesus from God for his people. Okay, so what actually is the revelation? And we're going to see that in the next bit. It goes on to says that who testifies to everything he saw, that this is the word of God. So apocalypse is the word of God, and this particular apocalypse is the word of God. And why do we need it? Well, it says that at the end in chapter 3. It says, because blessed is the one who reads it. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, because the time is near. We need revelation. We need apocalypse because we need to be blessed by God. We don't know what is coming, but God does. And we need his blessing in order to face it. There is no better definition of apocalypse than these three verses. And every time we come across apocalypse and apocalyptic literature in the Bible, There are always clues in the preceding verses and chapters that give us an idea about what is to come. And we're going to see the same in the second half of Daniel. So, now we've understood where this is coming from, let's have a little bit of a read. Let's read further. I'm sort of going to summarize as we go through John's vision of Jesus. That starts in chapter 9. So we have John praying on the island in Patmos. He says that he's in the Spirit And he hears a voice behind him, a voice like a trumpet. He turns and he sees someone like a son of man standing among seven lampstands. He is dressed like a priest in long robes with a golden sash. His hair is white like wool. His eyes are like fire. His feet are growing bright bronze in a a furnace. His voice is like the sound of rushing water. Let's stop and just think about that for a minute. 
So I was once lucky enough to go and visit Victoria Falls on the border between Zimbabwe and Zambia. And the proper name for this, these waterfalls given by the local people is Moziwatunya. It means the smoke that thunders. And if you ever get a chance to experience it, you'll know where that name comes from. You can see this plume of spray rising up out of the forest for miles around. And as you get closer, this raw power of water just seems to dominate. And it's that power that actually we have a picture. Oh, I've got moved pictures there. There we go, there's a picture. Um, of, of the falls. It just seems to absolutely dominate. And it's this power that is being used to describe Jesus' voice. Then we see him holding seven stars in his right hand. Now, the sun is a star, and we're taught from a very young age not to look directly at the sun, because it is so powerful that it would damage our eyes. In the core of the sun, sorry, this is the physics teacher coming out right now, in the core of the sun, hydrogen atoms are being smashed together to form helium atoms, just releasing this awesome power. That is what a star is, and Jesus is holding seven of those in his right hand. Coming out of his mouth is a double-edged sword, and his face is shining with all the power of the sun. This is an objectively terrifying image. And John's response is entirely right. It says in the Bible that he fell to Jesus' feet as though dead. There is so much going on in that description. And a number of those descriptions we will see again when we get to Daniel chapter 10. But what are we supposed to make of all this? The theologian Tom Wright puts it like this. He says, like anyone describing a dream or a vision, John knows that what he says is impressionistic. It appeals not to logic, but to imagination. Now we are being asked to imagine, what would it look like if the curtain between heaven and earth were suddenly pulled up, revealing Jesus, who had been there all along, but whom we had either managed to ignore or cut down to our own size? This is Jesus described in all his power, in all his glory, as best as we can manage within the limit of human understanding. We just have to use our imagination to fill in some of the gaps. That doesn't mean, though, that we are entirely on our own when it comes to apocalyptic literature. The last thing that we can do is we can have a look back at God's word. Let me give you an example. If we have a look at verse 14 from our reading today, it should appear on the screen, it says here, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Remember, this is describing Jesus. And now a little bit of a sneak preview for what's coming up next week in Daniel 7. It says, the ancient of days, that is God, his clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. John's description of Jesus here is the same as Daniel's description of God. What we're being told then is that Jesus, described a bit earlier as like a son of man, is also fully God. So there is a lot there to unpack. But as we look at the second half of Daniel over the coming weeks, we're going to need to apply some of these tools to help us understand the truth that God is trying to reveal to us. 
Some of those truths will be hard to hear, but we've got to remember that above all, God's purpose behind any revelation or apocalypse is to bless his people and to bring them hope. Before we wrap up today, though, let's have a look at just one final truth that God reveals to us about Jesus through John. Have a look with me at just verses 17 and 18. So this is John's response to the vision of Jesus that he has just seen. He says this, Jesus placed his right hand on me. That was the hand holding seven stars. Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus, whose power is so great that John has to use every literary trick in the book to even come close to describing what he saw, doesn't look down on John and go, ha, puny human. No, he reaches out with his hand that holds seven stars and says, do not be afraid. In Jesus and through Jesus, we have no reason to fear. His death on the cross and his eternal resurrection have brought for us freedom from death, freedom from the chains that would bind us. So if that's something that you need reminding of today, or maybe it's a truth that you never have known, please can I encourage you to ask God today to reveal something of himself to you. And as we dive together as a church family into Daniel's apocalypse in chapter six through 12, can I ask you to expect him to do just that?